0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Whew, okay, where to go with this one? You know, when I was thinking about this episode and what I was going to say, I was almost certain that I was going to compare this question, which if you haven't read the title yet, the question is, why does God allow mental illness? And my initial thought of where to take our conversation today was to kind of separate mental illness into two camps. There's the mental illness, uh, such as Down syndrome and such as birth defects that someone in absolutely no scenario can control or choose or get out of. You know, there are diseases that are incurable, that people have to live with for the rest of their lives. And I was going to take that question and liken it, and I'll still probably do this a little bit, but I liken it just to the general question of why does God allow suffering in general, which we have already talked about in this show. Granted, it's been a couple years, so maybe it is worth revisiting. And then there's the question of other mental illnesses, although mental illness is probably too harsh a word for it. Maybe it's mental health issues. That might be the word that maybe is more just culturally appropriate to use for things like depression and anxiety and loneliness and anger, right, or uncontrollable anger. And certainly some of this there is a cure for. And so the direction I was going to take here was kind of a reassurance approach to say if you struggle with something like this, you're not alone. And that's for sure true and i do want to reassure you with that that you're not alone god sees you others are going through a similar thing there's support there's community there's resources you can reach out to for some of these mental health issues god's word certainly speaks to some things like this i mean read the psalms right pray the psalms that's that's a very key thing especially when you're depressed or anxious, right? When you're depressed, why are you so cast down? Oh, my soul, Psalm 42, right? My soul troubles, my life draws near to hell, right? Psalm 88, I'm lonely, I'm afflicted, Psalm 25. Like there are are ways to deal with that. And it's not always your fault. It's curable, it's treatable. There's a lot of nuance within depression, anxiety, loneliness, suicidal thoughts, all of these things. It's not always your fault. Sometimes it is. Granted, and that's the harshness of reality, that sometimes you have put yourself into situations, you've turned a blind eye to things, and those things have grown into horrible, horrible monsters that are now uh, destroying and corrupting and, and ruining your life. And certainly that's true. It's not always your fault. Sin befalls all of us in different ways. There are definitely sins that are committed against us. Certainly people are products of abuse. Certainly people are products of neglect. Certainly people are products of failed marriages, failed parenting. Certainly people are products of those in power, teachers, pastors, aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents that you should be able to trust and then you can't. And they betray you deeply and they betray you in an ugly way, and it stings, and it hurts, and it leaves you with this affliction. Maybe it's PTSD, maybe it's something else, but but you're afflicted, and it hurts, and it sucks, and you're going to need a lot of therapy, and a lot of community, and a lot of stuff to even begin to deal with this, let alone overcome it, but it's possible, you know? And sometimes it is our fault. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we enter into that relationship knowing full well that it was not Going to be healthy from the get go, right? Sometimes we get ourselves into too much debt because we want the new car and house and thing. And then the anxiety and then the crushing depression as a result of doing that sets in. And, well, that's horrible, but there's a way out. And so (laughs) my initial thought was I'll spend 20 minutes talking about those two sides of it. I'll spend some time talking about everything I just talked about, some time talking about why God allows suffering. And well, Josh, you know, isn't it prideful to think that someone with a mental illness is someone worth looking down on? Right? Like, like someone with a mental illness, someone who was born with Down syndrome, say—I don't want to downplay Down syndrome; it's it's awful—or autism—or or something like that. Right? Like, there's there's awful mental illnesses out there that that I don't want to downplay. I don't want to discredit. But I also want to say, you don't know that that person hates life, right? You you don't know that. That that person maybe isn't closer to the heart of God than you are, and so how dare you pridefully look down on them and think that they're less than you, or think that they have a worse life than you? They might have a better life than you. They might be closer to God than even you are. It's like in John chapter nine, there's a man born blind, and the disciples are looking down on him, right? And and they're like, why was this guy blind? Uh, and and they're they're debating, <laughs> wrongfully, of course, pridefully, sinfully, they're debating. Well. His parents sinned. Well, he sinned, right? And, and and that was just the common thought of the day and thought of that traditional culture was if an illness, an ailment or misfortune had bestruck you, sin was the cause of it. And the ailment was was simply God's punishment on your life. And therefore, if you have something wrong with you, God's punishing you and, and he's mad at you and you suck. Because you're a worse sinner than I am. And can't you see that that's just the worst way to look at it, right? And so, but, but I think we have an American version of this, where we look at someone and we think, poor them, God must not love them. Or God must not be as loving as I thought he was, because he made them, <laughs> right? Or, or there, must, there must not even be a God, because he made that mistake. How dare you ever call someone a mistake, if that's you? And that's what we get from John 9 with the blind man, that Jesus said, no, 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 guys. Neither him nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that the power of God might be revealed through him. (laughs) And here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about him. Don't you see that his blindness was a blessing? (laughs) No, it didn't always feel like it. Yes, it it hindered him, and, and he probably was not as financially well off as the average person of his day and age, but he had an impact that transcends time and culture and, and myth and history. And you don't, you don't know what impact someone with autism or Down syndrome or Asperger's or, or man, any kind of disease might have in this world. You really don't. So don't you dare belittle one of God's children like that to think that you're in a better spot than they are. You don't know. They might be in a better spot than you are. God might use them more than he'll ever use you in your entire life, sitting on the couch, watching Netflix all night. Maybe that's not you. Maybe I'm being too harsh on you. So please don't take offense if I if I am. But I think it's a very key thing. And and I'm, I'm thinking this way because, so so today, before I sat down to record, I was going to record earlier in the day and I was going to record yesterday and I didn't get the chance to. And, and that's okay. But I ended up opening up one of my favorite books of the Bible, and there's a lot of books of the Bible that I'll call one of my favorites, but really there's there's two that are kind of like precious and stand out to me. Well, there's more than two, but, but there's two prophets that I particularly like to peer into because they baffle me and and amaze me every time I do. One of those is Jeremiah, and the second is Habakkuk. And so I was spending some time in Habakkuk, Today. And and Habakkuk, if you don't know, is this prophet that he's a he's what's called a minor prophet because his book is very small, his letter is small, but he's a prophet that lived in ancient Judah right before the Babylonian Empire was about to take them over. And he's crying out to God because this culture is so corrupt and awful and evil, and everyone's selfish and greedy and turning to idols and they're sacrificing children. And he's like, God, why? Why are you letting culture do this? These are your people. This is your body, your temple, your church, and all I see is corruption and sin. Fix the problem. And God says to Habakkuk, don't worry, I am. And I want you to write down a phrase high on a rampart so that anyone running by can read it. And it is one of the phrases that Paul quotes the most in the New Testament. It's Habakkuk 2.4. It says, behold, the proud, his soul is not right in him but the just shall live by faith. And I've always loved that verse. That is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's a gauge, right? Like like it's a meter where you can look at it and go, is my soul right in me? Do I have peace in this world? And if the answer is no, then I'm proud, some way, shape, or form. And that's no small thing to use that kind of a verse, that kind of a, a gauge in your life to meter how proud you are. And this is Habakkuk chapter two, and and so the next fifteen verses of Habakkuk chapter two is God talking about pride. God talking about the pride of a nation, and I've always, <laughs> I've always read this and just thought, man, those people, those people are awful. Those people commit so many sins. They take advantage of others sexually. They trash their environment. They kill. They expose others, they lie, they cheat, they steal, they plunder, they commit violence. So much shame. And this is all straight out of a Habakkuk chapter 2. And it's talking about Babylon, this nation coming to overthrow God's people, this nation coming to enslave God's people, and they're wicked. But I saw something today, right before recording this episode, that I, I don't think I've seen yet, at least not in the way I saw it today but that the root of all the evils of Babylon, the root of all of these transgressions is pride. And I think there's something there that answers the question of mental illness. That everything I said about suffering and and the blind man and no, suffering is not the result of someone's sin and, and... and how dare you look down on someone who is suffering, right? As, oh my gosh, poor them, God must not love them, which really is the American mindset, right? Like, like if you say, I can't believe in a God who allows suffering to happen, what are you actually saying? You're saying, I can't? So, so what's per- put forth as the idea of God in the West is this loving uh, fatherly, heavenly figure who wants nothing but good for your life, right? And so then you say, I can't believe in him because suffering. Suffering is the antithesis of love and good. Because if I love someone and I desire good for them, I'll never make them suffer. And well, that's not really true and also not really founded in logic because there's actually a a benefit that comes from suffering. Go to a gym and you'll see nothing but suffering, but it's purposeful, intentional suffering. Consult a personal trainer, and he will make you suffer, right? Uh, and, 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 but that's, that's good, because you'll become stronger, you'll become healthier, you'll live longer, right? Like, three hours of exercise a week will actually reduce your risk of heart attack by 50%. Three hours of exercise, anaerobic and aerobic, exercise, right? And and it's like, that's crazy. So if you inject purposeful, intentional, positive suffering into your life, it actually has benefits that go way beyond the actual suffering. And if there's truly a God of love, he'll do the same for us. He'll inject pointed, powerful, meaningful suffering into our lives. And the benefits of that suffering, if we go through it, Leaning on and wrestling with him, which, by the way, Habakkuk's name literally means one who wrestles, which I love because, because Jacob is renamed Israel, which is someone who wrestles with God. And there's this theme in the Bible that it's like God's people should wrestle with him. And then Habakkuk, wrestler, uh, sometimes also translated hugger, which is kind of like what wrestling looks like anyway, right? And, and Habakkuk has this this book, this short three-chapter book, and it's all his wrestling with God and he ends it, and, and he says, fine, God, if you make me suffer everything, right? And he says, if, if, if you take away the, the grain and all the cattle and everything, I'll still praise you, which is, is big in an agricultural society, because he says, you take away my 401k, my investments, my stock, my property, everything I own, and I'll still praise you. And that's how Habakkuk ends. Spoiler alert if you've never read it, but you really should. It's only three chapters, and it's one of the best books in the entire Bible. Wrestle with God is what I'm getting at here. Maybe God allows suffering, and God doesn't answer all of our questions because wrestling with God is the thing that's best for us. So certainly that's true. Another reason why that's true is because Habakkuk chapter 2 looks at all the things wrong with Babylon and says the root of it is pride. And I think there's a third category of mental illness that I regret to inform you all I am deeply, deeply sick with. That's pride. That's human pride. That is this idea that I can sustain myself. That I can sustain myself intellectually, that I can sustain myself spiritually, that I can sustain myself emotionally, that I can sustain myself relationally, that I can sustain myself in anything in life on my own. And I can't. But I have this idea in my head, right? And that's, that's pride. I don't need any blank. I don't need any help with blank. I don't need anyone to blank for me or with me or, or anything. Actually, I need from others. And that's what we discover happens in pride is I need to take. I need to expose the nakedness of others. I need to commit violence against others. I need to take land and possessions and goods and things that really don't belong to me from others. In other words, I need to use other people for my own benefit and for my own kingdom. And that's not what God wants. God wants us to serve others and to be served by others, to build a community. And I was thinking, what's so bad about mental illness? Well, one of the worst parts of it... Especially when it's the mental health category, anxiety, depression, loneliness, suicidal thoughts, anger. One of the worst parts of that is that you have to admit it to other people in order to recover. Like you have to go to therapy. You have to talk to a doctor to get on medication. There is no way to hide it and recover alone. It will kill you unless you depend on others like your life depends on it because it very well does. And so if you're struggling with something, get help. Seriously. At bare minimum, you can email this show and I'll pray for you and, and maybe send you some words of encouragement. But but I'm not a therapist. Get some help. Get plugged in with a church, get a community, go to counseling, get medication. Seriously, God has given scientists and doctors this brain, this this magnificent brain that I don't have to understand the chemical processes that go on in the brain and what chemicals and products will interact with that and help combat mental health issues. You can't do it alone. That's one of the worst parts about mental health issues. One of the worst parts about mental illness, like the ones I mentioned, like Asperger's, like autism, like Down syndrome, is you can't do anything alone. And I think that that's one of the things that causes us to look at people and feel bad for them is, Oh, they need help with literally everything, right? They need help to function. They, they need to live in an assisted community living center, right? They, they need people to help keep their schedule and make sure they're fed and, and make sure they get proper exercise and, and sunlight and, and are in a safe environment. And for those of us that don't suffer that way, that sounds awful. Because you lose your independence and our our culture preaches independence and independence is the most valuable thing and you need to do and, and be who you feel you are and no one can tell you otherwise. Certainly not your community who's just trying to help you. Because that's in some ways what a community does, whether it realizes it or not, right? Like there's social norms, but the social norms, as long as you kind of fit within them, at least the ones that make sense to fit within them, and I'm not saying conform to everything, right? But but a community does. It kind of pushes you in the right direction so that you're oriented properly. You have taken responsibility for you and those around you. And really, it actually leads to a pretty fulfilling life. In any community, and it can be a, a Western or an Eastern community, it can be an individualistic community, it can, can be a more communal community, there's a goodness in the community, not to downplay the, the evil or the abuses that happen there, those, those are true, but there is a goodness in community that helps to orient you towards a more meaning and fulfilling life, and so that shouldn't be overlooked. But I think one of the downsides with those mental illnesses is that we look at those that suffer with them and think that has to be the worst thing in the world to always solely depend on a caretaker. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe they're closer to God. Maybe they're, again, not to downplay it, but less prideful than you and I. Maybe some people are born with bodies and minds that are not upright, but it allows for their souls to be upright while the rest of us have to wander and wade through this life with souls that are not upright because we are proud and we are not just before God. If we were, we would live by faith. And I know what you're thinking, right? Like, okay, live by faith. What does that mean? Aren't you the Christian skeptic? Am I just supposed to have blind faith? No, I, to be honest, don't fully know what that means. But I love that Habakkuk, to get back to the wrestling thing, is the one that brings it up. (laughs) <laughs> I love that Jacob commits sins his entire life, and life finally starts to go okay for him when he wrestles with God. Because there's something there about friendship. And I know I touched on this a couple episodes ago, but I, I just want to emphasize it again, because I think this is the most Christian idea that that the church largely misses. Again, the, so the, the, the Greeks had four words for love. Agape, which is that sacrificial, unconditional love. Eros, which is the romantic love, and and we get our word erotic from it, but don't just think like erotic love or sexual pleasure. Think think the love that causes a young man to write a poem to a young woman, right? The, the infatuation eros, love. And then there's storge, which is familial love, which is parents unconditionally loving their children, even though they annoy the crap out of them, right? And children unconditionally loving their parents, even though there, there might be stains in the past of abuse or failures and faults in parenting. And then there's falejo, which is friendship, love. And, and you go to any church, and I've said this before, you go to any church in your town, and there is, at some point, <laughs> there's a, a sermon series about the cross and about agape, sacrificial love, serving others, right? That's all agape. There's, at some point, a a marriage series marriage and dating right the eros love how we're supposed to do that there's at some point a a sermon series on parenting and honoring your father and mother never is there a series on how to make friends and and what friendship means to christianity but jesus said greater love has none than this not that a man should lay down his life sacrificially, unconditionally in agape love. Not that a man should lay down his life for his future bride and, and those who he wishes to draw near in marriage. Not that a man should lay down his life for his family, for his children, right? Agape, eros, storge. But that a man should lay down his life for his friends, phileo, love. And today he says, to the disciples, but really to anyone he lays down his life for, which is everyone. He says, today I no longer call you servants, but again, not family, not his bride, his friends. Greater love has none than this, that Jesus would be the friend of proud, unstable, unpredictable sinners. And I don't know every nuance and every situation on why God allows every person who suffers with a mental illness, mental health issues, or even people like me who just suffer endlessly with their own pride. I don't know why God allows that to happen. But maybe he doesn't stop it so that we would turn and wrestle with him. So that maybe as, as we get through this life, however short or however long we have to struggle with, with what goes on in our own minds or what doesn't go on in our own minds and bodies, maybe we'd come out of it at the end as a friend of God, friends with the one who said he was the friend of sinners, right? That he would lay down his life for his friends. And that only comes through wrestling. And and what I mean by wrestling is actually taking these questions that we have and bringing them to God. God, why are you allowing suffering? Let me open your word. See what your word has to say about suffering. There's a lot in God's word about suffering. Start with Job and then go literally anywhere in the Bible. People suffer and there's evil. And God, I don't get it, but I'm going to see what you have to say. And, and I'm going to pray and set myself up on the rampart like Habakkuk does in, in chapter 1 and and just why are you allowing this i'm going to wrestle with you in this and 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 there's something there where it's like if you're the kind of person that wrestles with god you're the kind of person that's friends with god and if you don't wrestle and if you just blindly trust or blindly distrust you're not god's friend you know or if you shun, shun away from the hard issues and say oh i don't know the answer to that but Whatever, I'll figure it out next side of heaven, right? Are you really even God's friend? Friends talk to each other. Friends wrestle. Friends, friends delve into the hard issues together. True friends do. Jesus said there will be many people who stand before him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do many mighty works? And he's going to say, yeah, but we weren't friends. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you workers of pride, But I don't know, man, this is, a, this is a tough issue. I don't think this is one that I can solve. I think the answer is I don't know why God allows mental illness, mental health issues, and I don't know why God allows the pride in me to continue to fester and burst forth at times. But I'm interested in your thoughts, so as always, let me know what you think. Uh, email the show, please like, follow, subscribe, whatever the platform you're listening to this show on prompts you to do. It genuinely helps. It helps me to know that the words I'm saying are impactful and that they're helpful. Leave a comment or review if the platform you're listening on allows for that or share on social media or something. I don't really know. (laughs) I don't get anything out of any of that. I mean, other than just knowing that what we talked about is helping and is worthwhile. But yeah, that's all the time we have for today. So as always, thank you so much for listening and I hope you've enjoyed the show.